So there's a woman in my church growing up when I was about three years old, went to this church from about three till about, I was 12, I think, when we left. And there was a lady in the church who was the matriarch of the church. You know, that one older lady who just took everyone under their wing was the de facto grandma. And I feel like every church has either a patriarch or a matriarch, that person who just looks, out, looks after and over everyone. For me, it was Bernadine. And Bernadine is a lovely woman. She was stern, but she was very kind. Like, I remember a core memory. She yelled at me for running through the church because this is a sacred space. We don't run in this space. But I also remember her having us over to her house as much as we could be there. When I was a kid, my uh, Auntie B, as I used to call her, she would have us come visit regularly. I remember visiting. We visited every month up until I was a junior in college when she moved away. And I'll tell you, she was old then. We're talking 25 years ago. She was old, old then. And she told me her whole goal was to make it to 100. And she passed away a couple months ago, and she made it to 102. She was a wonderful woman. She uh, made such an impact on my life. But I'll tell you, I used to visit her. We would always go in, and my mom would say, let's try to keep this to an hour. And about two to three hours after, the longest was five hours, we would leave on our way. And her house was like a picturesque Chicago home. If you've ever been to a, a small, older house in Chicago, they're small, cramped, unusually hot regardless of the time of year, and they're musty. And we'd sit in her musty old home that I loved, and we'd drink coffee, and we'd talk. And occasionally she'd get really serious. Like, she loved to laugh. She would laugh all the time. But occasionally she'd get really serious, and she'd say, now I'm going to preach at you for a second. And in her life, living, you know, now a hundred and some odd years, she had learned a lot. And so I knew it well enough to shut up and listen. And so she told me one of the times, she said, right now you know stuff and you think you know everything. But one day you're going to understand it and it's going to change your life. She's like, the whole childhood and adolescent years, you're collecting all this information. You go to school and you learn all this stuff, but one day you have an experience that changes your life and it makes sense and it clicks. And at 15 or 16 years old, that sounded like mumbo jumbo to me. I'm going to be honest. didn't make much sense. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize how true that is. I knew all of these things, but I didn't understand them yet. James talks a lot about that. All throughout his letter, he talks about the idea and this progression that we go through from ignorance or unknowing to knowing and understanding to doing and living changed. And he, in his mind, the, the life of the Christian is supposed to make that progression from ignorance to living changed. And so last week, Pastor Holly kicked off our series talking about James chapter 1 and sometimes the trials and difficulties we as Christians go through and how we can learn perseverance. And today we're talking about the second half of chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. But before we do that, let's talk about James for a second. James writes this epistle or epistolary discourse, as some Bible scholars would call it, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a letter. He writes a five-chapter letter to the early church that is just now starting to conglomerate after the ascension of Jesus. And he's basically trying to tell them, this is what you need to know as a Christian in a Christian community about how we practically day-to-day -day live out our faith. How do we take the teachings of Christ and actually apply them beyond just a moralistic philosophical level? And so he writes this really practical guide on how to be Christian. And one of the things he does that's really interesting is he takes two different biblical texts and splices them together, kind of marries them. 
The first is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He takes all of Jesus' source material and content that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, and he pairs it up with what we see in Proverbs in the Old Testament, the book right by Psalms. And Proverbs was this pithy book of one-liners, 31 chapters of one-liners about how to live wisely in our faith. And so he takes the structure of Proverbs and mixes it with the content of the Sermon on the Mount to bring forth what is probably one of the more practical, hands-on, day-to-day, daily grind books. It's why so many pastors will encourage people to start in James because it's just so easy to use and makes so much sense because James basically just says exactly what he's thinking. He doesn't make you dig through all of these layers of what he means. He just says, this is what I mean. And so today we're going to look at the second half of chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. It goes like this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but by doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Two things that James talks a lot about in his book, and honestly, we will talk about more in the next few weeks as we conclude this book in the series, is listening and living. Those two themes go throughout his book. The idea of what we listen to, how we understand matters, what we believe matters, but then also what we do with that belief and how it changes our lives and impacts us. So I want to talk about those two things. The first is listening. James isn't talking about listening in a purely communicative sense, right? He's not talking about just all of our day-to-day conversations necessarily. He is referencing some of that, but he's also talking about something deeper than that. He says, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. If you notice in our current culture, do we do that well? No. We do the inverse. We're, slow, we're fast to get angry. We're quick to get angry. We're quick to speak. And then one day, maybe we'll get around to the listening part. Watch the news. No one's listening, right? And we are also consumed with this desire to air out our own opinions and hear ourselves talk. For James, listening is more than just the sound waves that go in your ear. For him, it's about understanding. So the first idea I want you to know is listening helps us to understand. That's ultimately why we listen. I can tell you time and again, I'll be in a conversation and I'll think to myself, man, I just had this conversation or this debate with someone and they walked away and I feel like they've heard nothing I said. Well, sound waves went in their ears. They did hear what I said. It just didn't click. They didn't understand what I was trying to get at. Or one time I was sitting in the car with my mom and she was talking about this family plan. And I want to be honest, I was trying to be a good son, um, but I pulled out my phone and quickly went on Facebook. And then Facebook evolved to Instagram. And Instagram went to where it always goes, which is fantasy football. And I spent the rest of my time on fantasy football. But I learned if you just say, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, Oh yeah, absolutely. People think you're listening. 
And so I did that all along. She's asking me questions. I'm saying, and then I hear these dreaded words, you have been such a big help. And I look up. No clue what I was helpful in. No clue what I answered, what I committed myself to, but I know I committed to something. There's more to listening than just the sound waves that go in your ear, right? It's about what we understand and how we implement and utilize what we're talking about. It's why Jesus will often say throughout the Gospels, those with ears, let them hear. Right? After a teaching or a miracle or a moment with his disciples, he'd say, those with ears, let them hear. He's drawing a distinction between just listening versus understanding. And for James, the idea that he's talking about is that we are supposed to be quick to understand the book of Proverbs that he's basing a lot of his text around talks pretty extensively about these binaries and dualities between foolish people and wise people. It often draws a comparative contrast uh, juxtaposition between the two where you'll have the foolish person doing this and the wise person doing that. A great example is in Proverbs 12. It says, fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in their own opinions. But then in Proverbs 1, he contrasts that by saying, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, I wish I could tell you these were the two examples I could find in Proverbs. I'm reading through it again for like the 10th time. I'll tell you, it is chock full of the author saying, wise people listen and understand and fools just want to hear themselves talk. For our own relationships and community, one of the things that we are called to do is to seek to understand. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that by listening and understanding, we have to agree with people. We've lost a great nuance in our culture and our communities where we thought that understanding meant agreement. It's not. What we are trying to do is to love people in a very tangible sense by trying to understand why they believe what they believe, trying to understand where they come from. And so for James, he says, be quick to listen, be quick to understand, be wise. But on the flip side, he's also talking about our relationship with God, how we understand what God says, because all throughout the Bible, we see that God prompts us, God nudges us, and God whispers. And even in this passage, it says that God places a word in our life, a calling. So how do we listen to and understand that? Well, a couple practices that are pretty simple very Sunday school, like kind of juvenile in some ways. First, read your Bible. The Bible is one of the best collections of understanding how God used to relate to people, the characteristics of God, how God has treated his people throughout time, and then also what we can know about Jesus, the greatest revelation of God. But one thing I want to make a distinction about. What tends to happen in most American churches is we really push you guys to read your Bible in a year. There's nothing wrong with that. It's really important to read your Bible. But the problem is, when you try to read your Bible in a year, you're reading so fast that you don't actually uh, retain much of it. You get to the end of the year and you've been reading five or six chapters a day and you can barely remember anything you read. Unless you have a really good memory or a good note taker. And so there's this idea in the spiritual practice called slow reading or divine reading, which requires us to, instead of reading five or six chapters, we read passages. For example, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. We read passages or we read a chapter, and instead of reading it quickly just to cross it off the checklist, we read it again and again and again. 
And so one of the things I'm encouraging us to do throughout this season of time is to, while we are going through the book of James for the next several weeks, what would it look like for you to read a quick five-chapter book and read it again and again and again? Because through this process and this very, what can be maddening if you're an accomplisher like me and you just want to cross things off the list, it can be very frustrating. But one of the beautiful things about reading the scripture slowly and intentionally is that every time you read it, something new refracts. There's this idea of like a diamond, you twist it and it, it balances and shows off light differently every way you turn it. The scripture is the same way. Every time we read it, we learn more and more about who Jesus is and how Jesus relates and how we can grow closer to Christ. So we listen to understand. One of the ways we do that is through reading our scriptures. Another is through actual listening. Um, prayer. Sometimes we think of prayer and we think of just what we say. Prayer, at its simplest definition, is a conversation between you and God. And every conversation requires talking and listening. It's a two-way street. And so one of the things that we, we don't often consider much is how much we listen in our prayer lives as well. We're quick to talk. We, we get the talking down pretty well, but we're not always great at listening as well. So when do you intentionally carve out time to sit in silence, to sit in solitude, and to actually listen alongside your prayers? This is what we'd call contemplative prayer. And what it does is it gives you time and space to actually consider and reflect on what God is trying to tell you. A lot of people will tell me, man, I wish God would just talk to me. And my question is, are you listening? Because I think, and I truly believe that God is still talking as much as he used to. I just think we live in such a noisy world that if we're not careful, we can miss it so easily. And so one of the things I'm encouraging us to do alongside reading our Bible slowly is what would it look like tonight or tomorrow to read a couple verses or even just a chapter of scripture, maybe read it for 10, 15 minutes, and then pray. Lay out all the good and the bad going on in your life. It says pray in all situations and all circumstances, but then set aside time to listen in silence and solitude. I think that if we as a church, as a community, just in Muskegon, just Connection Point, if we got better at listening and at trying to not only understand each other, but to understand God, we would see waves happen in the west side of Michigan. We would see a wave of peace and love sweep over the state. We are called to listen because we are called to understand. Be quick to listen. The second thing is we are also called to live differently. James is very clear on saying, once we understand, it's supposed to graduate to something. Listening well graduates to living transformed. James says at the end of his passage, this line that I think is beautiful. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but by doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's what James is saying. Understanding is really important. Your head knowledge, your beliefs are important. But it was never meant to end there. We were supposed to take our beliefs, what we think about Jesus, and not just care about what we know about God, but live like Christ. It was supposed to change the way we live. It wasn't meant to just be this ivory tower of theology and Bible study. 
It was about rubber meeting the road, our beliefs in action. And I'll tell you right now from my own perspective, I grew up in a Christian home with Christian grandparents, Christian parents. I went to church. We were a Wednesday night church family, a Sunday morning church family, and a Sunday night church family. I remember asking my mom one summer saying, do we ever get a summer vacation from this? And she said, no. And I was horrified. And now, I do this. So, God's got a sense of humor. But I say that to say, we were in church a lot. I read my Bible. By the time I graduated high school, I think I'd read my Bible three times front to back. I'd read all the Christian living books. My first job that I got out of, um, like, sophomore year of high school was I worked at a family Christian bookstore selling Bibles. Right? I was inundated in the Christian world. I watched the movies, listened to music, wore the T-shirts. When I went to college to study ministry at Olivet Nazarene University, shout out. When I went there, it was about my sophomore year, I had a voice in the back of my head that said, what if Jesus meant it when he said to love our neighbors? What if he meant it when he said that we were supposed to love our enemies and care for those who persecute us and pray for them and forgive? What if Jesus was being serious when he said that we were supposed to be servant-hearted, generous, not just with our time, but with our finances as well. What, what if Jesus meant it when he said all those things and they weren't optional? And what I realized was I was a really good Pharisee. I was a good kid. I didn't break a lot of rules, but that's all it was for me. It was just rules. It was a philosophy and I loved the brand. I was a big fan. I loved the teachings of Jesus on paper, but in practice, they seemed a bit too radical for me. And what I realized was if we take Jesus seriously, it impacts our life because it means no longer can we just sit back and talk about the love of God without also being tangible reflections of the love of God to our neighbor. No longer can we talk about forgiveness and pray to God for forgiveness without also extending that same forgiveness to other people. The gospel is not an easy thing. It is actually really difficult because it requires something of us. It requires us to give of ourselves, to overflow with the love and hope and peace and patience, kindness and self-control that God has for us. And the question I have is when you look at your life, can you see the fruit of the spirit in your life? Because there's a point where we are just merely listening to the word and we love the idea. It's where we got, historically speaking, moral therapeutic deism. It's this idea that said religion is all just about believing the philosophy of God so it changes our behaviors but it never actually changed lives. Jesus isn't looking out to try to get you to, to uh, exclusively just change your behaviors or change your thoughts. He wants to change you as a person. He wants to root himself in you so you are a different person. You live transformed. It wasn't just about knowing the right answers. It was about living like Christ. And so for us, what does that look like? It looks like serving our neighbor. It looks like being the hands and feet of Christ, not merely talking about it. And you can look at the history of the church and you can see times. In the early church, shortly after Jesus, there was a kind of a forsaking of head knowledge. They were all about the experience and the spirituality of faith. And what happened over time is because they didn't look into the education of faith, we wound up with really not super smart Christians and pastors. And so then they said, well, let's flip to the opposite end of the extreme where all we care about is the education. And this is post-enlightenment era where all that matters is your reason and your rationality. And so we got really smart pastors who stayed in their ivory towers and never did anything about it. 
James isn't calling us to one of those or the other. He's calling us to a nuance between the two that manages the tension and says, we want to not only understand about Christ, we want to live like Christ as well. Our beliefs matter. What we think about God matters. A.W. Tozer says that our beliefs about Jesus are one of the most important things about us. But I would add on that our beliefs about Jesus should, in fact, change your life. And it should make you more loving and kind. It should make you someone who seeks out radical unity over division, which is chock full in our life right now. So today, as we go back into the world and we go back to our homes, our communities, and our workplaces, what does that mean for us? Well, first, maybe you're in this room and you don't know what you think about Jesus. And if that's the case, I'm glad you're here. If you don't know what you think about Jesus, a couple things I'd suggest. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Pastor Holly, Pastor Sarah, myself, we'd love to to work with you and find places for you to start. Maybe start in James or the Gospel of John. But start reading your Bible intentionally every day. Because one of the easiest ways to get to know about who God is is by reading the Bible. The second thing is try out prayer. It's weird at first, and sometimes it never stops being weird. But one of the things that we get to learn about it is that we get to commune with God, that we get to carve out space. And even at its worst, if it's just purely meditative, it's a great experience. But I truly believe that if you want to hear God speak, you have to create spaces for God to speak in your life. You have to create intentional space to hear what God has to say, the nudges and the promptings in your life. The final thing, if you're still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus, is who is your Bernadine? Who's the, the mentor and the guide that's drawing you closer to God or creating a space where you can ask questions? One of the things I loved about Bernadine is she never acted like I was stupid for asking a question. Sometimes I think our culture gets really afraid of asking questions because we don't want to seem ignorant. But by asking questions, we learn so much. So who's that person who will draw you in, draw you closer to Christ and allow you to ask those questions? Maybe you're not that, but but maybe you're in the space and your head is chock full of knowledge about God and you just don't know what to do next. We'll talk more about it in two weeks, but one thing I want you to know today is where can you serve? Serving is a trademark of our faith and reason being is because it's a way that we get to be the hands and feet of Christ, love made tangible and enfleshed in our community. And I can tell you two right now off the top of my head that I think are great ways to serve our community. Kids Food Basket. The Lakes Community Garden right in our parking lot. Both of those are seeking to, to help with food, to help with hunger in our community, people in this area, by being a tangible, easy way to meet needs. I don't know what's in your neighborhood. I don't know the problems, the issues in your neighborhood, your workspace. But whatever it is, how can you help meet a need? How can you help be a, a, a change agent of peace and forgiveness? That's a great start. Let's start with serving and being Love made personal and incarnational in our community. So today, be quick to listen and let it change your life. Let the understanding, the beliefs that we have of Christ change who you are inside and out. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that as we go out into the space, we choose to take steps to become more like you. I, I pray that we choose hope and peace that we choose to be a beacon of light and love in our communities and our homes. I pray that we choose to be a non-anxious presence, even though the world around us is dark and scary at times. I pray that we choose to be like you and that we choose to seek out a path where we seek to understand others more, 
seek to understand you more, and we let that change who we are. Amen.